The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 905- Nine seven two seven four two zero. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see your smiling faces today. Good morning, Good morning Scott. Scott. Good morning, Gary. Don. You know the weather's been so nice and and beautiful for the last week. Getting cooler now, obviously. But um, does that mean calm calm things on the financial front? Because it's been pretty <laughs> dull this week. There's not a lot going on. Other than more yeah. suffering, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, boredom is usually a good thing as far as markets are concerned. Um, yeah, the markets haven't been great in the past week. Uh, you know, up, down, up, down. But uh, eventually, long term, they go up. And, you know, this is where, at the end of the day, our focus isn't on the day-to-day ups and downs of the market or interest rates or anything such as that. It's all about planning. And it comes down to accomplishing our clients' goals and those those can be anything from tax planning, estate planning, you know, any just running your business, budgeting for that matter, and trying to accomplish your goals. So the the markets are noise in the background. And yes, we do deal with investments and we have to, we do, we want to make sure that we invest in the proper way. And we have to kind of go with the ups and downs that we've just witnessed in the past week. But it doesn't take away from the fact we're we're financial planners. And I know Gary, um, one of the things about financial planning is gifting. Yeah, and and you know, just to to follow up on what you just said, I think I think part of the reason things are a little quiet right now is that people are very distracted with starting their new year, the new year of September into October, kids back to school, people mm. back from vacation, uh, goal setting, planning, getting organized, and I think those kinds of distractions keep a lot of people pretty busy. Um, but yes, uh, you know, the legalities of, of a gift versus a loan, I, you know, we, uh, we run into these types of situations on a, over the years on a fairly regular basis where, um, you know, for example, uh, parents decide that they would like to do something for their adult children, whether, whether it's, uh, assist with, uh, with the purchase of a home, which of course is happening a lot in today's world, uh, perhaps a, a startup business, there, there's a lot of things that that people consider doing. And even, even just in terms of the, the notion, well, I know my kids could put money to work better now. It would be more of value to them now rather than waiting until down the road, as long as it's deemed that there's sufficient amount of money there to, to service the you know, the parents as they, as they go through the, the aging process. But, you know, what we also find is that, um, that people in general are really not uh, apprised enough about the implications of passing money to uh, you know to their adult children in in these examples, uh, in terms of the the processes, the consequences, um, you know what what really um, arrangement is being made by by providing money. Now, in some cases, uh, parents will decide to. Uh, Especially when there's a when there's a, a son or daughter-in-law, it was it's probably a little bit more common in those situations where they may decide to to provide some some money in the way of a demand loan. So they'll have a demand loan agreement. 
um, you know, with uh, that they could call in at any time and dependent and and have both both uh, parties, son-in-law or daughter-in-law, as well as their own child, sign that. And uh, really, that's as much as anything. That's that's a, a type of insurance, I guess, to some degree. That if things go south in in any way, shape, or form, which is not unheard of in these you know these times, that uh, that they can uh, potentially recoup uh, you know those funds. Um, so there's you know I think it's important. I, I actually uh, came across a, a, a case study that was uh, summarized by uh, an individual by the name of Rudy Mazetta, who is a senior uh, financial reporter for an industry publication, which is called The Investment Executive. And um, so basically, he looks at, at gifting and, and providing loans and the ramifications from a, from a legal perspective. So I'm sure that there's aspects in this, this summary that, that people can relate to, or at least... Um, learn that uh, something that they, they didn't know. So essentially, the uh, the Ontario Court of Appeal uh, just recently upheld the lower court's decision in July that found a father who transferred over $10 million in cash and real estate to his son had done so by way of a, of a gift rather than than by a loan. So the case, the case law in this regard suggests that that property transfer to an adult child is presumed to be in trust, therefore a loan, um, unless the the adult child can prove the transfer of those funds was intended to be a gift. So that's really the the, the crux of the legalities of this. So this this particular case, it's falsetto versus falsetto, and this is this is current. This this was resolved just at the end of 2022. So a teenage, so the teenage son began working in his father's uh, business in the late 1990s as a as a youngster, um, and and his father had a business that that maintained uh, rental properties. So at that point in time, the father and son had just reconciled after years of estrangement, and uh, the father didn't pay his son for doing this this work, um, and the and the the son was working six days a week, but instead. The father told his son he intended to eventually give him the business, to pass the value of the business over to him. Um, so the son started on his own, also started his own flooring business in the early 2000s. And then he began buying uh, and renovating and selling properties uh, over time. And the father was very involved in that in terms of just providing advice. And he, he visited the, the sites on a regular basis and so on. So in 2010, the son told his father about a property he was thinking of buying, and the father supported the idea and provided him with $475,000 to help with the purchase of that property. Okay, So between 2010 and 2016, the father transferred other assets to his son, uh, money from a settlement agreement, checks from personal accounts, and, and various titles to properties that the father owned. So that's that's what uh, grew to the the total of roughly ten million dollars. So at the trial, the son testified that before each transfer, he verified with his father that the transfer was in fact a gift. So hmm. in 2022, the father sued his son, saying the transfers were not intended as a gift. Instead, he said he wanted his son to use the transferred amounts to buy property in the father's name. So in other words, in trust for the, for the father's benefit. 
the father further alleged that the son has, had breached his fiduciary duty as the father's power of attorney. So this really starts to get uh, convoluted. So the lower court's decision, in the lower court's decision, the, the trial judge relied on a Supreme Court from uh, 2007, a, Sup a Supreme Court of Canada decision in another case, uh, which, the, which that court held that when a parent gratuitously transfers property to an adult child, the law presumes the child holds the property in trust for the parent. So in other words, the law assumes that it was a loan. Ah, okay. Well, unless you have it in writing then. So, but that's what makes this case really interesting. So, however, the adult child uh, can challenge that presumption of, of it being a trust by providing evidence that the parent intended to make a gift of the property that the child accepted the gift and that there was sufficient what they what the courts call a sufficient act of delivery to complete the gift tra uh, transaction so the lower court judge found that the father's testimony regarding the transfers and this is this is why when things are being tried by a, by a judge um it's 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 always a challenge in in a lot of cases because you're getting that one perspective that one legal perspective. So the lower court judge found that the father's testimony regarding the transfers wasn't credible or reliable. And when I when I read this, I was very surprised because that's a judgment call. Mm. No, no pun intended. Yes, it is <laughs> absolutely. That's very good, Don. <laughs> so <laughs> while the while the son's the son's testimony was consistent and credible. Now, what did sway this a little bit is the son brought in some independent witnesses that also testified that the father told them that he and he had intended to make or had made gifts to his son. So mm -hmm. that in this particular case, that that was a factor. So uh, the trial judge found that the evidence also showed the son accepted the transfers and used the money to acquire properties that he had received and deposited the checks into his own account uh, or or his company's account. So. Uh, this was this was again appealed, or when it was appealed, I should say, um, the the judge decided that, that the judges decided that they weren't going to retry this because it was it was clear to them initially that um, that the the original intent was for this to be a gift. Now, I won't go any further with this, but I just wanted to to sort of lay this out because I found this rather surprising. First of all. Um, because there, there wasn't any real documentation. There were a series of actions, and then there, there were witnesses that supported the, the, the claim of the son. But generally, when, uh, you know, Don, when we, we deal with clients and, and they're thinking about passing money, you know, particularly along to their kids and so on, um, it's, it's, it's just really important for people to understand uh, what the laws are. Mm -hmm. And, and because when it's family, quite frankly, most people just don't even consider, because I've talked to people before about a demand loan for their, for their, their children. Yeah. Yeah. Or a promissory or, note. Or, or promissory note of some kind. And, and people, sometimes people find that a little uncomfortable, distasteful. And really, it, you know, what we try and do in every case, of course, is, is minimize the potential for risk. Yeah. It's actually kind of interesting, Gary. In this case here, you, you'd almost think, okay, if it's in writing, you needed it to be in writing that it was a loan. But in fact, you actually need it to be in writing that it was a gift. And that would have made this a lot clearer. So right. there's a presumption of a loan, 
rather than a gift. So when exactly. you're giving, and I guess obviously this was a sizable amount. You say it was around $10 million worth of assets and yeah. over, over time. So this obviously money does matter. Size matters with this. And, yeah. uh, and, and it was worth fighting for, but uh, it was, you know, um, it's obviously the judge had a lot more to go on than what we just had in the last yeah. 12 minutes. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is best to have everything in writing. And but in particular, when there's a lot of money involved, and this gets into, you know, when you're lending money to your kids to buy homes, matrimonial issues, always best to have it in writing in case of a marriage breakup, that the money can return back to the parent too. So it leads to many things. And, and it's a great segment, Gary, the fact that it all comes back down to documentation. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, too, is that even if someone intended one thing, but the other is happening, then they have to go to court. Yeah. You know? Who wants and that? that? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and again, if it's $10 million, that's different. But <laughs> Christmas but dinners will never be the same. Yeah, exactly. In many cases. <laughs> We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox, and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Wrapping up your financial plan. Wow, is it Christmas already? <laughs> Unfortunately, not quite that. Um, and I would, I would suggest probably Halloween's a little closer, but that kind of goes with ghosts and ghosts kind of go with death. And that's what wrapping up financial planning is actually all about. It's tying together your will and possibly insurance and putting it all together. And, you know, in my career, you know, we are also duly licensed. So we also deal with life insurance. And it's always interesting if you ask that question to somebody, what happens if you don't come home tomorrow? And it's always this kind of look, hmm, well, um, and we obviously mean, you know, what happens financially? What happens to this, this your, your wife or your husband? Are you looked after? Nobody really wants to think about this. In fact, um, you know, obviously we talk about wills on the air every week, or not every week, but certainly frequently. And it's, it's always one of those things that nobody really wants to talk about too much. And so it's not any surprise that less than 50% of Canadians have a will. In fact, the number that I looked at was 57% do not have wills, which I found shocking, to be honest, that that many, that percentage do not have a will. So at the end of the day, you get to call your shots after you're gone. That's what a will's all about. So you actually get to figure out, okay, this, you get to actually say you are now, you know, beyond, in the grave, you actually say, this is where all your assets go. So it was well thought through. It's a legal instrument in, such as trust and insurance policy to ensure the wealth and the possessions you've accumulated over your whole life 
go to your friends, family, charity of your choosing. So it's extremely important to take this time to think this through. And I know Gary and I, we, we discuss this with clients and we also discuss the ramifications of not having a will. So it's extremely important to get this done properly. So yeah, a lot of people think it can be cumbersome, time consuming, maybe even expensive, but is it worth it? <laughs> okay, considering other things that you spend a ton of time doing, particularly working every day to accumulate your wealth, it might be a good idea to just tie it all together. And you'd almost think that families with more assets would naturally have a far, a far higher percentage of wills than the rest of Canadians. Wouldn't you think that, Gary? Yeah. And also, the older the individuals are, you would think that the percentage would be higher for those that do have a will. Without question. And it turns out Canadians earning 100000 plus annually were actually less likely to have an existing or updated will than ones with more modest incomes, hmm. which I thought I thought for sure it would be the other way around. I wasn't thinking, well, if you don't have much, why do you need a will? And there's some perhaps a little bit of truth to that, but the ones that have a lot definitely need a will. And I know we see, we come across people all the time that just haven't maybe reconciled that you know there's a, the eventuality that we will all pass away sometime. Hey, look so, at Prince. Prince died without a will. The wealth that oh, Prince had, and yeah. boy, it was two year a two year nightmare. I think after he mm -hmm. passed. Absolutely, it's uh, it 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 is a nightmare. And it's not even that expensive. You know, depending on the will, um, it can range from, say, you know, a couple hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, depending on the complexity of your will. And you don't even actually need a, a lawyer if you don't want to. You can get a will kit if it's quite simple. Um, but you know what? My own my own preference is to use a lawyer, pay the money. I said at the end of the day, we pay for so many services in our life. Why do we want to shortchange this one? And get it notarized too, right? Yeah, get it authorized, make it legal, make sure, yeah. as Gary was just talking about, that they can't refute it on a technicality. So this is where lawyers are doing their job. And so, you know, doing a will kit, yes, it will get the job done. And to the most time, you know, for the average simple one, it might work. But I still would rather pay a few hundred dollars and just get it done. Now, the first thing happens, though, is who are you going to name as your executor? And this is often kind of thought as maybe the worst job ever okay the executor is sort of the ceo of your death they're responsible for carrying out your wills instructions and finalizing your estate duties include dealing with the banks insurance companies the government entities communications with beneficiaries and the family members and that can be good or bad depending on what the will says um, it is a it can be thought as a thankless job and so choose your executor extremely carefully and and really an executor should have the three T's. And those T's are trust, you trust them, time, they have the time to do it, and territory, they live reasonably close, I, I, at least in the same province. Appointing a non-resident outside of the country could have a lot of potential tax consequences, which we won't get into. And I guess, you know what, um, you might want to add a fourth T, just it would be terminal just in case that executor passes away you have an alternate executor so kind of like a you know a, a batter on deck if you will so so you know what it, it's you also want somebody that's perhaps younger at least in good health because you don't want to live your executor and this is something we come across actually frequently that when the kids were younger you named an executor 
and it might be your your own parents. Well, now your parents are in their 80s and your kids are in their 30s. And it's about time you might want to change that up because, you know, there's a chance you may outlive your exec, um, your executors may not be around. And then then what happens? So uh, no will, no problem. That's kind of like the attitude with a lot of people. And that's called dying an intestate. And it's about the worst thing you can do for your family and loved ones, to be honest. Not having a will guarantees the process will be longer, messier, and could cause strife amongst those that you leave behind without a will. Dying intestate is, is honestly, it's, it's almost selfish to do it that way. It's it like, really is. It's like naming the province of Ontario as your executor. <laughs> it's exactly uh, yes. that. They have a will. They have a will for everybody. Yep. You may just not like it too much, okay? Right. So, so dying, it, it ends up being, as, as you mentioned, Gary, uh, the government will decide who inherits your assets. And every province has different intestate rules. Um, you are not only dead, but you're also voiceless. You have no opportunity to minimize income tax. There's no, there's no tax planning. Trust me, the government will not try to figure out what's the most beneficial way to save tax. They will not be doing this for you. It or it ensures that the right family members or charities get the money that you have. So extremely important. Now, this is what's kind of interesting too, is a lot of people will say, well, and there's some truth to this too, if all your assets are joint or, or beneficiary, for example, you own your house and it's joint with your spouse. No problem, if, if one spouse dies, it goes to the other spouse. Um, your RSPs, you named your spouse as beneficiary there. Your tax-free savings account is, is a tax-free, is, is a beneficiary. Those go directly to the other spouse. Um, your investments, your non-registered investments, um, say a cottage even, has, is jointly owned. Say, well, you know what? Everything will go to the, each other, nothing to worry about. Except what happens if both pass away? Then where does it go? Okay, again, it goes back to the government's will. Now, this is interesting. It's called going through Ontario's Secession Law Reform Act. And this is one thing I, wa I wasn't aware of until I kind of looked into this deeper. Common law spouses are excluded from inheriting wealth. So on the income tax, yes, you get to split all your income with them. Um, there's all rules if you ever were to split from a common law relationship. But if you do not have a will, you're common law spouse that you've been with for the last 25 years gets nothing. The will does, there's no will. The government says, okay, it goes all to the kids. And, and, and that's, and that spouse, if the house was in that person's name, only one person's name may have to leave the house too right away. So that's one thing. Secondly, and the, and these are just hopefully alarming enough that people will say, okay, let's get that will done. Okay. We've been talking about this for a while. But the other one is if you have a spouse and a child, well, the first 350,000 of the assets going through the will will go to the spouse. But every penny after that is split 50-50. And if you've got two or more kids, the spouse will get the first 350, 350,000. And then from there on in, the spouse gets one third and the rest is split with the kids. Probably not what you expected in your will. If you had written a will, I doubt anybody would say, okay, we're going to give half to my son and half to my wife as an example. 
after the first 350,000. For whatever reason, that's what it is in Ontario. It used to actually only be 200,000 up until 2021. So they, they've just updated it to 350. End of the day is, what if your relationship with your son isn't that good, as an example? And you're not even sure if you're going to leave any money to your son. And you have a common law spouse. Well, it turns out the son would get 100% of it. What if you were married? Well, the son, the, the wife, in this case, would get 350. And if there was a million dollars in assets, the other 650 would be split evenly. So the 325 would go to the, to the wife and 325 would go to the son. So again, lots of potential issues. And just like your segment, Gary, I can't imagine these conversations going all that well over the dinner table. So right. um, death and taxes are sadly inevitable. One thing that people really do need, though, is insurance. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. Mortgage insurance is required for home buyers that have less than 20% down payment. And chartered banks, you know, will often recommend and promote insurance. Now, mortgage insurance is not the most, I wouldn't call it the best insurance in the world. In fact, getting your own life insurance, your own policy is better. And actually, in most cases, actually less expensive. But it's better than nothing. And when it comes to insurance, people aren't all that good with life insurance either. Kind of like their wills. About half of Canadians do not have life insurance. And in fact, most of the life insurance out there is provided by the employer that only will pay about two years worth of salary on average. So... And if you look at those ones that have employers, those that have 62% go through employers and more than half of those have no other insurance. So out of 100 people, 62 people, only insurance they have is through employers. And then half of those people have no other insurance. So only about a third have insurance that they've actually figured out. You know, it's interesting, Don, of course, uh, I know you're well aware of this because we've talked about it before, but uh, the types of insurances that we are compelled to have by law, we have to have car insurance as, yes. a, as an example. Uh, and, and when it comes to something as important, as critical as life insurance, it, it, it does baffle our minds as advisors that, that it, for some people, it's such a foreign concept. 100%. And you look at the cornerstones of, you know, of investing in general. One is to have a short-term reserve, just to have some money on hand. But the second cornerstone is insurance, because all that you've tried to create would go to waste. It, 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 it could be gone because you didn't have enough in, your, in the livelihood you had for your kids and your spouse. It could be to the wayside because you weren't properly insured. And it, it is, you're absolutely right. It'd be driving a car without liability insurance and then getting sued for everything because you hit something or somebody or whatever. And the next thing you know, all your money is wiped out because you didn't have car insurance. Thankfully, the government is there to make us do certain things. And the banks actually have rules. Like I said, if you're not putting a down payment of over greater than 20%, you have no choice. You have to get insurance because they don't want to be the on the hook in case you die. So it's just... Again, one of those things that if you look kind of from a 10,000 foot view, very common sense to get insurance, very common sense to have a will. 
the reason people don't, it's an emotional, it's this, it's almost like, oh, well, if I get a will, I might die soon. And I've heard all sorts of things. It's, it's a, all, it's, it, there's no rational thinking behind it. In some cases, it's just pure procrastination. But at the end of the day, getting a will and having insurance for protection, they both go hand in hand. And there's, you know, how much insurance do you need? Well, quite often, there's, there's, a, we, there's a lot of insurance calculators out there. In fact, you know, you can go online. I know the Globe Mail has one. There's all sorts of them to kind of get an idea. This is where sitting down with a financial planner and saying, what kind of insurance should I get? How much should I get? I don't want to be overinsured. And trust me, that's, that's you know, generally a waste there too. I'd rather see you enjoy that money or invest that money than put it to insurance. But at the same time, insurance is very cheap. And if you've got a young family, and lots of debt, you need a lot more than simply to pay off those debts because now your income is gone. Of course, it depends on what the insurance is for too, Don, right? When we do our reviews, our analysis. 100%. Yeah, there's so much more to it. And these are the digging down. And this is what financial planning is all about, is having this conversation over the overall situation. And it's almost... Uh, a third party or out of body experience, if you will, looking above at the situation saying, what should we do here and not get emotional? And it's very hard. People in money and insurance and wills, it's an emotional decision and it shouldn't be. And if we just pr pragmatically made decisions based on what would be the best thing for our family, taxes, insurance, everything, then it would be far more easier. And you'd end up with a great result. But at the end of the day, personally, get the will done, check. Do you have the proper insurance? Check, done, put it away for a while. Don't worry about it. That's what it should be. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Taking a break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Boy, we certainly hear a, a lot about this, Gary. I mean, it's tough enough for young people to get ahead, buy a house, do whatever, even after they're doing the things they're supposed to be doing. But then there's the impact of student debt on, on all of that. Where do you start? Yeah, and you know, everything is related in, in this regard because you know there, there's a chain reaction when we have a situation like we do right now. You know, there's a there's a lot of moving parts, which I, I just want to touch on. But there was a actually there was a really great article in the Hamilton Spectator, September 21st. And uh, it, it, it talked about this this very thing. And it got me thinking, too, because it was talking about, you know, uh, when I mentioned a chain reaction. So so you've got an individual who graduates from post-secondary. They've got massive student debt cost of living is has gone up considerably in the in the past year and a half we know that 
the housing prices up until recently, the housing prices went through the roof. But, you know, Don and I were talking uh, uh, a number of days ago about the fact that if inflation is down to 3% now, you know, that's that's viewed as a really good thing, which which, of course, at the current time it is. But we can't forget that it that it escalated up to 8.1% and that didn't yeah. go away. Right. So the 3% is on top of, of all the, the inflationary uh, growth that we've had over, over the last little while. So what I meant by a chain reaction, when you, when you think about it is uh, so student graduates, they've got massive debt. Um, so they've got some options. If they, if they can get a job, that services their their interests and their needs, and that's a that's a big if, right? In today's world, uh, they have a couple options. They they live in their parents' basement, or in their childhood room in their parents' home. Um, how are they going to get around? Well, they may have a car, they may not. But if they do have a car, there's a really good chance that that car the, was assisted by the parents in terms of <laughs> of providing providing that that vehicle, and. Then they've got to kind of figure out, okay, even though there's a grace period, so how am I going to manage these payments to start repaying my debt? And what about a lot of professional uh, careers? You know, people that 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 eventually say graduate school or the, or medical school, uh, law school, those types of of, uh, of of situations where you know not only do do they have this debt, this massive debt, and relatively little cash flow, and everything costs so much. But then they have to decide, okay, am I going to go work for uh, a clinic, a walk-in clinic, if I can get a job, if they're, if they're in the medical field? Am I going to go work for a really large law firm and, and work, you know, 12, 15 hours a day mm-hmm. trying to, trying to build, build my, uh, my profession? Um, can I go out and buy a business? Can I, you know, uh, a lawyer, uh, a lawyer recently told me that, uh, trying to sell a business, a small, I'm talking about a small one person practice is almost impossible. Mm. And, and I've also, uh, I've also heard from doctors that say, you know, we, uh, the, the target market for a lot of doctors, uh, at least GPs is to latch onto a big clinic, you know? So, so this situation is forcing a lot of people to do different things. So let's talk about the housing market specifically. So we know that that first time home buyers are really suffering, right? It's, it's really problematic to try and even with the, the assistance of their parents, but with that assistance, it affects the parents' overall financial well-being. But the desire to help their kids get into a home is, a, you know, in many cases is a, is a priority. So, so they do that. So because, because it's so hard to buy a first-time home, that means that the demand for first-time homes drops. And if the demand for first-time homes drops, that means people who bought their first home five years ago, 10 years ago, who want to move up are less able to do that because it's more difficult to sell your home for the price that you you would want to get so that you could move up. And then the chain reaction as far as the housing market you know, continues on because then it becomes more difficult for the mid, mid-range uh, homeowners to get the, the price that they're looking for to make a change. So it... It, it creates a more static environment and then you, you know, then you build in the interest rates and so on. Uh, it, it creates this situation where, um, you know, we're, we're at a, we're at a point now where uh, it's really difficult to say where things are going to go. If you, if you uh, listen to what the real estate 
folks are saying, um, most of the time, a positive spin is put on a lot of things. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this impacts both the young graduates as well as as their supportive families who are trying to help them out. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, uh, this is going to be a fascinating way to end the show. The joy of semi-retirement oh see i was gonna let it hang there a little longer because everybody's <laughs> gonna wonder what they're doing is they're eating their toast this morning <laughs> <laughs> semi-retirement there are so many benefits of being semi-retired first of all you have to put yourself in a financial position to get to that point so you say okay i don't have to work this hard and what you basically are doing is you're going to trade revenue for reducing stress you're going to say, you know what, I can make more money, but I don't want to. I want to have more time to do the things I want to do. And it's not like you dislike working or doing certain parts of whatever job you're doing or whatever job you may want to do. You may want to change careers. You just don't want to do it all the time. And so it's, it's this great feeling, empowerment, actually, if you will, of being able to say no. And I had this great, uh, great friend of mine. He retired early. He's now working at Home Depot. And he, uh, certainly not even close to what he was doing before, but he's doing it because he's just enjoying it. For him, it's a semi-retirement. It's a great gig for him. And so he was, and he's, a, he's always been an overachiever. So they look at him and he's definitely way overqualified to do what he's doing. So they said, you know what? We could make you a manager. And he said, no, thanks. <laughs> the power of saying no. And the best I like that is, he says, you know what? I'm going to take a month off in January. Of, and, uh, and his boss says, oh, I don't know if you can get the time off. And he goes, that's not a problem. I'll just quit. <laughs> well, they didn't want to hear that either. They like to know. So sure enough, he took a month off and he had his job there too. But it's it's the power of being able to say no because you are financially independent and you're doing this now because it's something you want to do. And it may continue to do the exact same job you're currently doing. You just don't want to do it as much. So it gives you that option saying, you know what? I want to see different weather. You know, I... I'm not a snow person. I'm going to go to Arizona. Or I am a snow person, but the hills aren't big enough. I'm going to go to Aspen or Whistler or, you know, Banff and, and ski. You know, you get to pick the weather. So, but again, and sometimes you can actually work remotely and you can have a gig where you are simply on your computer, as we've done all through the pandemic, pandemic and be able to still earn some type of income. So weather is great. You also, this I found is, is actually quite a nice thing. If you do retire early, 
retirement benefits are expensive. And there's a lot of part-time jobs that offer um, medical benefits. And those could cost, you know, four to $500 a month for a family. And now all of a sudden you're not paying for those. And so, yeah, it's a benefit. So, but you add that to the wage, it adds up. And you say, okay, well, now I'm not taking $500 a month out of my investments. I'm getting this just because I'm working part-time. And it's actually also interesting if you are making even a small income, it really helps your portfolio. I know, you know, our whole team does full financial planning projections. It's called an LPP. And if you put in, I'm working part-time, what a difference it makes to their portfolio because they're no longer taking the money from their portfolio. An example, let's say you're, you're making only 15000 a year. Well, that would be like having $300,000 earning 5%. So now you're not taking the 15000 out of your portfolio. It's coming in the form of a, a part-time job. So big difference. Now, our progressive tax system really encourages people to go semi-retire because the more you make, the higher the percentage. I know uh, some of our great leaders, and I say that maybe tongue-in-cheek, are saying, well, let them, the rich pay their fair share. Well, our fair share, the more you make, you are paying your fair share. If you make over $230,000, you're paying 53% tax. They're getting more than you are. And it, there's a, it's an escalating amount depending on your brackets. So let's say you're, you want to go work part-time and you're, you say, okay, I'm going to make 49000 a year. Your take-home pay is 42000 You get to keep 86% of it. Well, then I'm going to go make a bit more and I'm going to now make 70,000 a year. Well, you only get to keep 57,000 of it. Okay. 81%. So that extra 21,000 you made only resulted in $15,000 more take home. And that's at the low end of income. You can only imagine if you get to the higher end. So money gives you the right to decide how you want to live at the end of the day, because you deserve it. You've, you've saved the money. You put the money together. You actually deserve it. Not just because I want to. No, you put the money away. So a phased retirement is a great option. And where you say, okay, I'm going to work four days a week, then three days a week, or then maybe part-time. But at the end of the day, you need to find your passion, whether it's golfing or cycling or photography or grandkids or travel, or you know what? All the above. Because if you're retired or semi-retired, you have so many more choices, so many more things you can do. And at the end of the day, personally, I like this motto. I like ands, not ors. What I mean by that? Somebody says, do you want to do this or this? I said, nah, I want to do that and that. <laughs> we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another highly educational show, gentlemen. Thank you so much for the time and have a great week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.